0: Hello and welcome to episode 145 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina and
1: I am Beth, and she's got a wonderful background. Look at that! I do. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm all decked out. It is officially spooky season. I know it's not October yet, but Mom and I thought it'd be really fun to start this early since we only put out episodes every other week publicly. Of course, if you want more, join us on Patreon. (laughs) Little plug there, but. I wanted to start spooky season. I could not wait. So you get three little Halloween spooky episodes. Yep. I'm right. still going to
0: do the paranormal, but Bethy is going to do, no, I'm not going to do the paranormal.
1: I'm still going to do the true crime. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and... It took me a little while to set up. So I think mom's had like two gin and tonics while I was I Have. <laughs> That's how long it <laughs> took her. <laughs> Like, okay. I I had a baby to put down. I had to make myself look like I hadn't just been rocking her for the last two hours. (sighs) Oh, my adorable little baby girl. Lover, lover, lover. But yes, sorry. I don't, we're doing a sidetrack for my kids. It's spooky season. I am so excited. I'm so excited.
0: Oh, you're among a big group of people that are. I seriously, I see that on Facebook and
1: and our Instagram and everything, people are really excited about fall, I Halloween. Mean, there's and, there's just something about that time, this this time of year. Just the leaves are changing. I can be outside more and I'm not just melting all of the food and the clothes. And that means holidays and just. I like the smells. Oh, I love the, the smells. smells of fall. Well, I have um,
0: a friend, Lauren, who I met through this last show I was in. And she actually decorated her whole apartment while we were in the show, which was several weeks ago in fall and Halloween. <laughs> she was, oh, she, yeah. I'm not waiting any longer. Nothing tells us that we have to wait. So she's like, I redecorated today.
1: <laughs> I bought a couple things and a couple of fall things. And I put them out like right away. I didn't even go put them in my storage. I texted my girlfriend and I said, yes, I bought pumpkin pillows and no, I did not wait to put them out. <laughs> and it I was like, know. not even September 1st. <laughs> oh, well, I love everyone it.
0: knows you love fall.
1: It's so wonderful. Okay. So, okay. I have the paranormal story and the cocktail this week. And I told you guys, I was going to come up with some fun Halloween cocktails. So I'm going to try something a little different because this week's cocktail is a shot.
0: Oh, Okay.
1: So if you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to do something different here so we can see what I'm making. Uh, If you're just listening, then I'll probably edit this around so that you're not just listening to the oohs and ahs of, or if this, oh man, this fails, I don't know what's going to happen. Situation. So, uh, okay, here we go. Ooh. Okay, so I got our lovely shot glass, and it's not dirty. It looks like it's dirty. it's dirty. It looks like. dirty. It's like, have you already drank out of that? <laughs> oh, I actually just cleaned it. Uh, It has Killer Hangover podcast on it, so that's. Oh. it Looks it. That's our logo. Um, I haven't looks seen. Dirty. I haven't seen those. Oh, well, merch. <laughs> uh, okay. So you're going to start with an ounce of peach schnapps. Mm, okay. So this is a two ounce shot glass and I poured about, well, way more than an ounce. Let's see. And that's the drink right there. Okay, good. <laughs> Moving on. And if you mess up, you know, there's no mess ups. There's no mess ups here. <laughs> Just drink your mess ups. Okay. So then Bailey's and it says... It's supposed to float. It
0: looks, it looks really like it cool. Goes.
1: It looks like a Oh it my gosh. This looks so cool. And then the last thing is some grenadine. And I didn't mean for that to rhyme. <laughs> it actually kind of worked. And I'm really impressed because whenever we try to make like the sunrise know, or sunset it never, cocktails, it never, it never works. So what's this called? This is zombie brains, (laughs) and it does. It literally, because the Bailey's is floating. Oh, my gosh. It does look like some kind of. It literally looks like brains are like, okay, I wonder if it's going to taste good. So this was Bailey's peach schnapps and grenadine. Cheers. Cheers. It's really good. I mean, I mostly just taste the peach schnapps. Oh, really? I don't taste anything else, really. It just tastes like a little fruity shot. Wow. I was so intently
0: watching you. I forgot to cheers you with my own drink.
1: I know you were just <laughs> anticipating I was, the shot. I was like, <laughs> tell me what? Mmm, that is tasty. It literally, like the uh, the Bailey's really did float
0: it in did. there.
1: That was really cool. I got it on cosmopolitan.com. So that's going to be the first of our little Halloween cocktails. I'll put the recipe and everything on our social media, but really easy. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. That was cool.
0: Thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. I might pour myself a a few of these uh, while while you tell your true crime. (laughs) Just make my story a little more interesting. (laughs)
0: Well, before I start with mine, I'd like to welcome all of our new listeners. We have quite a few new listeners. We have a new patron. Um, So welcome to our little hangover family.
1: Yeah, I (laughs) like
0: that. I'm so excited every time someone new signs up and says hi to us or, you know, just listen for the first time. So thank you very much for commenting and welcome aboard.
1: That's really sweet, mom. You're right. I absolutely love when people go, oh my gosh, I just binged a hundred episodes. Or I just binged this and just episode. And I go, you're one of us. If you're a binger, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I'm terrible. I'm back in the monk again.
1: So every Oh, night. mom. The thing is you binge the weirdest, most random things too. <laughs> it's like she gets on the we- monk. Like that's I what you're binging. I
0: love monk. Oh my God. I love monk
1: oh my gosh and then she does a binge of the andy griffith show oh yeah mayberry yes definitely oh it makes me feel good mayberry especially it is gilmore Girls season so i am binging all the gilmore girls over and over and over and over and over and over and over see boy, with the poodles already okay True crime it up, mom. And I'm going to pour myself okay. my Okay, zombie brain while you do. I want to do the haunts for the next month.
0: <laughs> yeah. So she's picked up some really fun, fun things to share. And she's kind of doing the, these cocktails that she found too. So we're not tying things together as we usually do. But me, myself, I'm in Kansas right now. I really am in Kansas, but I'm telling a story about Kansas. <laughs> Here she goes again. (laughs) We're going to Kansas this week. We don't have to go. I am. This one, actually, uh, I had heard about uh, while it was happening, and I was in college at the time. So, And then it it goes further on, and I just heard bits and pieces of it. And I'm talking about John Edward Robinson. Uh, I know that a lot of people have heard his name, and for those of you who have not heard of him, let me tell you a little bit about this creep. You will know a lot about him by the end of this, and you won't like him. I hope you won't like him anyway. Robinson was born oh December twenty seventh, nineteen forty three, in Sarasu Sarasau Rowe, Sar- where Sarasau Sarasau. Sorry, in Sarasau, Illinois. He was number three of five children. Supposedly, his father was an alcoholic and his mother was a very strict disciplinarian. During his trial, it was stated by a psychiatrist that Robinson had been severely abused as a child by his mother, who accused him of killing his youngest brother. And she verbally, mentally, emotionally and physically, she would beat him just for no reason and, and tell him just, it was
1: because he killed his little
0: brother because he killed his little brother his little brother died of something when he was very very young but actually john was very attached to his little brother so that hurt even more he That's was basically horrible. the caretaker of this child if this is to be believed okay then he had a horrible horrendous childhood course, that does not give him any leeway for what happened in his adult life. Robinson met his wife, Nancy, in 1963 in Oak Hill, Illinois. They had a very fast getting to know you romance and were married several months after they met.
1: A fast getting to know you romance. Yeah,
0: yeah, you know what I mean. (laughs) Do they I? moved okay. <laughs> they moved to Kansas City in the early 1964, in early 1964. <laughs> in 1969, Robinson was arrested in Kansas City for embezzling $33,000 from his place of work. At that time, he worked as an x-ray technician at a medical practice where he got the job using forged credentials. He was sentenced to 3 years of probation. Now, let me tell you that when he lived in Chicago, first of all, he studied to be a priest. That only lasted a year until he was kicked out of seminary and school for disciplinary action. And then he went into study um, radiology, okay, to be a radiologist, and he flunked out of that and was kicked out of that. But I guess he knew enough to get by because then he forged all his papers and moved to Kansas City and became an x-ray technician on these forged oh. papers.
1: That's so scary, though, that you could forge papers to do something like that. I don't
0: think it's as easy nowadays. I don't know. I mean, that was in 1969. Uh, hope the hope follow- not. I hope not. Yeah. The following year, he was arrested again for embezzlement from R.V. Jones Company, a job that he took back in Illinois. Now remember, he's on probation in Kansas, right? Kansas City for embezzling. He applied to this job in Illinois without telling them that he was on probation. And he didn't tell his parole officer that he had a job now in Illinois. Got away with it. He was arrested again in 1975 for security and mail fraud. I mean, this guy's life was a life of deception and from young all the way to, yeah, probably still doing it. Who knows? And deception is what he thrived on. In October 1977, he and Nancy bought a large home on four acres in Overland Park, Kansas. The house and land were perfect to raise their four children. So they had an older son, a daughter, and then a daughter and son who were twins. Robinson was seen as the perfect father and husband. He was a man of success. I mean, they had this huge house with four acres. I mean, that's saying something. He was very successful, supposedly. He was a soccer coach, a baseball coach. He was a Boy Scout leader in the Overland Park and Stanley area. He even helped found the Presbyterian Church in the neighborhood where they lived and became an elder in that church. So Aww. he was very community driven. Robinson also joined the board of directors for a local charity for handicapped persons. Okay, this all sounds great. This is this is super. But then comes out the real Robinson.
1: Can, he created- can I just like interject here and, and be like probably really rude. Do you think self-consciously he's doing all these good deeds because in reality he was a bad guy? And so he's like trying to make up for it in a way no I or think do you he really think he's it. just think that he misogynistic it. and like
0: he used it as a cover i think
1: yeah like he just he really just likes to center of attention like that for
0: well you'll see that he uses some of this stuff so going back to this local charity for handicapped persons okay he's on the board right right so he decides this is a great idea we're going to create a quote man of the year award and this guy is going and he's going to gonna win it this man or woman is going to be recognized throughout a, throughout Kansas City for all you know for all that they do right through this charity so what he does is he forges letters of praise and endorsement from local figureheads even the mayor and he becomes the man of the year he wins the award oh my
1: gosh
0: he was described physically as a robust man with very bright blue eyes you see this guy he's a your robust
1: next man what do you he's he's
0: not thin <laughs> he's he's a healthy man <laughs> he looks like your neighbor i mean i'm not talking your neighbor oh, i'm look like you. my neighbor <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he's very well I mean, his face is cleaned up. He doesn't, you know, have any facial hair. His hair is cut short. He's robust.
1: (laughs) He's He's somebody you see in Andy Griffith.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he's he's like a a neighbor, you know, he's, you know, a great guy. Let's move on to this robust man. (laughs) By this time, he had his own company. He called it.
1: Man, where does he have time for all of these things? (laughs) I know. Go Better
0: Hydro Grow. Okay, so this company promoted a new method of growing vegetables in water with no soil. Okay. Whoa,
1: (laughs) I don't know why that's so interesting, but it is. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You need to slow down on your
0: brains. (laughs) In the 1980s, Robinson put together a Kansas City outreach program. He said it was designed to help young women with children to finish their education, to get training, housing, and jobs, which sounds great, right? I mean, any place that's going to help these young women establish themselves is a super place.
1: Absolutely, It's a super now, place.
0: In October 1984, Robinson met Lisa Stacy and her four-month-old daughter, Tiffany, at the outreach program. Lisa had been a client of the Truman Medical Center and was staying at a battered women's shelter in KC. Through a a social worker, Lisa was directed to the outreach program, where she met Robinson. Okay, now Robinson said, you're worth so much more. I am going to help you get your GED. I'm going to help train you. And you and Tiffany are going to live a good life. And I'm going to help you do this. First thing we need to do is move you out of this shelter. So I'm gonna move you into a motel, which he did. Three days after Lisa moved into this motel. Her sister-in-law tried to get a hold of her. So she called the motel. And remember, there's no cell phones. <laughs> she called the motel and they're like, Oh, well, she's already checked out. You know, the sister-in-law's that's really weird. I mean, she didn't have any money or anything. No one could find Lisa, and a missing person was filed. Police. We're kind of hesitant to look. I mean, here's a grown woman with a baby. Uh, She's left her husband. Maybe she just wanted to disappear and, you know, go out on her own. So they didn't really look for her very hard. And then a few days later, a letter arrived at Lisa's mother-in-law's house. The letter was signed by Lisa and it read, I have decided to leave Kansas City with Tiffany. I feel I have to get out on my own to prove I can handle myself. After the letter was received, the family reported it to the police and the case was totally dropped. Oh, jeez. Okay. Now, what happened to Lisa will never be known. Her body has not been found. As for four month old Tiffany, well, that's a story on its own. Robinson's brother, Donald, and his wife, Helen, had always wanted a baby, but could not have one of their own. They I'm were sorry. looking
1: back up. Who are these people?
0: Donald is. Uh, is uh, john robinson's brother
1: okay sorry so donald and helen it's a lot of names i was trying to remember and then i lost the relationship
0: (laughs) donald and helen robinson okay gotcha. so okay and they'd always wanted a baby and they finally started looking into adoption but you know that takes time and they were getting kind of frustrated about that and all of a sudden john robinson walks in with this little baby girl that's about four months old it says this is Tiffany, her mother committed suicide in the motel in a motel, and I knew the adoption service that took her. I got her for you, and here are papers, and all you have to do oh, is sign these papers. Gosh. And of course, the papers were forged, but his brother did not know, and and Helen did not know. They were beyond excited about adopting oh my Tiffany. Gosh. So they accepted this little baby into their life and loved, loved, loved her as their own. There's a picture that just gives me the creeps because it was taken like the day they adopted this baby. Okay. And it's the family is standing behind. So Donald and Helen and other family members are standing behind a chair on which is seated john robinson and he has the baby in his lap and everybody is all smiles and excited because of this adoption but knowing the backstory i mean basically that's so eerie he had his eyes on lisa because she had this little baby and he befriended her so he could kill her and get her baby so he could give the baby to his brother
1: that is so backwards
0: tiffany was raised as heather tiffany robinson and had no idea about the truth of her mother well either did her mother you know her adopted mother or father until she was 16 years old police think that lisa was targeted like i said by robinson for the baby uh, according you imagine
1: to imagine what tiffany went through when she finds the truth of all at of 16
0: this? i know oh oh my so, gosh she, um, she started a Facebook page for her mother because she's now on a search for her mother. Uh, she has one or two boys and she's married and has one or two boys, but she's on a search for her mother. Wow. I don't know if she'll ever find her, but mm. she still loves her adopted mother and father and, you know, of course, and does of not course. blame them at all for anything that has happened. According to Vanity Fair confidential, a social worker that was with the outreach program began to get kind of suspicious about Robinson. He had said he worked with a bank, but when she called the bank, they were told or she was told that they had never heard of John Edward Robinson. Hmm. Then she started looking deeper into his past and found he had served time as and was on probation. He had a felony conviction with Jackson County, Missouri, where he was charged with embezzlement from the mobile oil company where he worked. Eventually, it was found that he had stolen from every business he had ever worked for. And the Hydra Grow company that you were so thrilled about? Yes. Yeah, it was a scam.
1: You really can't grow vegetables without soil? I don't know. You probably could, but his was a scam. (laughs) So was he just how was he sorry that's totally besides any of your points but was he just selling fake vegetables or oh he He wasn't selling selling, he wasn't
0: selling the vegetables he was just had this company that were like almost a research thing of you know how to grow these things and then he didn't have this company selling the ideas um it was a scam it was a made-up company what they call them a shell company or
1: something like that Hmm. So uh, I wonder if you can grow vegetables without soil. I bet you can. You can grow flowers. I wonder how tasty it would be, though. Tasty. I don't know. Does, doesn't it get nutrients from soil? Yeah. It'll just be really I'm watered down I'm vegetables.
0: From worms? I don't know. Uh, what? But the soil needs worms and compost. Oh, he just made this gross. This man was a total con man who could convince people of most anything and I think his robust body and blue
1: eyes had something to do with his robust body oh my God. but he doesn't sell robust vegetables in
0: 1985 they were watered down <laughs> Missouri probation officer Stephen Haynes caught a glimpse into the cons that Robinson was playing
1: Haynes mm-hmm. tried are you okay don't let the shot sit the Baileys kind of gets junky, Like <laughs> curdles. It was like a bite of Baileys. <laughs> but it tastes like a peaches and cream. Okay. I right. go on with my story? <laughs> yeah. We're not going to do another one of those.
0: We're good. <laughs> I'm listening. Haynes tried his hardest to revoke Robinson's parole on several grounds. He felt like this guy just needed to be off the streets. Uh, yeah he's
1: faking everything
0: in life he failed until 1987 when robinson was caught with possession of a firearm and was Hmm. sentenced to seven years in prison during which time his family his wife his children stood behind him okay his wife is still married she's still in love with this guy okay he's got that robust body (laughs) as his blue eyes Okay, while at the prison, which was 1987 to 1993, Robinson was a model prisoner. There he met the prison librarian, Beverly Bonner. They both worked very closely together in the library. Mm -hmm. Beverly was married to the prison physician, Dr. William Bonner. The couple filed for divorce in 1993. Beverly told her husband she was no longer in love with him and instead was going to be with Robinson, who she was helping to find property for his hydro grow business. Oh, again. Wow. (laughs) She told her husband in 1994, right after their divorce, so I guess her ex-husband, that uh, she was going to move to Chicago to help look for property up there. Beverly was not heard from... But why do
1: you need property if you just need water? Okay, sorry.
0: (laughs) You need a lab. Beverly was not heard from until Christmas when her family got a letter in which she talks all about her travels throughout Europe. The letter was definitely signed by her, but the letter contained verbiage that Beverly did not use. It also had a stamp from, I don't remember which country, but it was a country in Europe. Okay,
1: well... Wasn't he in prison or is he out of
0: prison now? He's out of prison now. Oh. She left when he got out of prison. They left, walked out together. Oh, walked into the sunset together. Now he's still married. Nancy, John's wife, had tried her hardest to keep the house while he was in jail. I mean, she took double shifts. She, you know, she did what she could to pay the bills, but they just piled up and they ended up having to sell their house. But- The children were by this time grown, and so Robinson and his wife moved into a mobile home. Unbeknownst to poor Nancy, Robinson had gotten to know more than just Beverly while he was in prison. He had also learned how to move through the internet, especially chat rooms and such. What was not known to anyone at this time was that Robinson, the husband, the father, the grandfather, family man, had a special hobby using the internet you see he was very much into sadomasochism and bdsm do you know what bdsm is yes bondage discipline and sadomasochism so while his wife was at work the slave master robinson's online online name oh my god i'm
1: getting like goosebumps everywhere would be at work on meeting women online who were also into that lifestyle the emails I mean, and to chat... each their own. To each their own. But I feel like if you're into that, wouldn't you want to do that with somebody safe? Not random, like safe. somebody that you somewhat know. I don't I know. know. Maybe that's just me. The emails and chat rooms
0: soon led into physical meetups at hotels. Robinson became a very traveled man, meeting up with women in various states. In nineteen ninety nine, he met Suzette Troughton from Monroe, Michigan. They met online. Suzette had posted an ad as a, quote, slave, which, of course, drew Robinson's attention. He responded to her ad and lured her to Kansas with the offer of a job caring for his father who wanted to cruise around the world. Suzette moved down to Kansas City with her two dogs, who she always had at her side. And they were like little um, Annie dogs. a so
1: Little Annie. Wants Robinson to do
0: put her up in a motel The same motel that he had put Lisa up in. He visits that motel quite a bit, by the way. He puts her up there, but they don't allow dogs. So he put the dogs at a kennel at a vet. Now this really upset. Yeah, he did. Uh, This really, uh, yeah, I have to give him credit for the dog thing. (laughs) This really upset Suzette a lot um, because she was always with her dogs. Okay, that's sort of like me. I'm always with my dog. But she had signed a contract, a written agreement that she was Robinson's slave, giving him complete control over her. She had to do anything he said and give him whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted it. Now, Suzette had a very close relationship with her mother, who was in Monroe still. Even after she moved to Kansas, Suzette would call her mother every day, of course not saying anything about the BDSM lifestyle. On March 1st, 2000, Suzette told her mother that she would be leaving on the cruise with Robinson's father. It was the last time she spoke to her daughter. It didn't take long before mom called the Lenexa police. Things did not seem right, but this time the police started looking into Robinson right away. I guess they saw that he had a record. Discovering that Robinson's father had actually died several years ago. Oh, shoot. And this invoked a sense of urgency in their search for Suzette. They found that on March 1st, Robinson had paid two bills. The one at the motel and the one at the kennel. So now it's like, okay, what did he do with the dogs? So let's start at the shelters. So they searched all the shelters in the area They found the dogs. Okay. So he did bring them to a shelter. Okay. So like I said, I'm cutting him, just giving him uh, uh, one positive. We can find a positive. (laughs) When the police notified the family, the family told them that if they had found the dogs without Suzette, she was dead. Mm. A few months later, the family received a letter postmarked from Amsterdam and signed by Suzette. But again, the letter did not sound like something Suzette would write. Police were now following Robinson. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this part's kind of funny. One night, they <laughs> followed him and a woman to the motel. Yes, the same one. And he always goes to. They managed to get the room next door to the one that was occupied by Robinson and the woman. It turned out to be a very long, agonizing night. Being next door, they could hear most everything that was going on. The couple was indulging in BDSM. So there were cries, screams, and moans. They had no idea if the woman was in need of their help or not. So they just had to remain where they were at. I mean, this is not illegal, right? So they couldn't, but they didn't know if she was in danger. Oh, no. no. Oh, I mean, can you imagine these poor investigators and
1: how uncomfortable that would be? Oh, gosh. In May
0: of 2000, a woman came to the police wanting to press charges. A man by the name of John Robinson had stolen sex toys from her. (sighs) Finally, though, they had a reason to arrest him. On June 3rd, 2000, Robinson's property in Lynn County was searched. This was a place that the Robinson family would go to, to relax. It was a large open property so that the kids had a lot of room to run and explore as the grandkids did also, but it might not have been used for a while because it was kind of like, um, well, it was very much in disarray and it was almost like just a place to dump something. I mean, you know, Oh, we've got this old refrigerator. It doesn't work anymore. Let's just bring it to the, to the property. So there was stuff. And where like was that. this
1: property in Kansas? In in Lynn County.
0: Okay. I looked it up. It's right, it's right on the Missouri border, but I'm not okay. sure where in Lynn County it was. Uh the investigators, okay, from the video, they never talked about the dog, but I saw that there was a German Shepherd dog that they brought with them. And I was kind of assuming it might have been a cadaver dog, but they never mentioned anything about the dog. So I might be hmm. misspeaking but from the video it looked like the dog ran straight to this shed and outside of the shed were two yellow 55 gallon drums barrels mm-hmm. okay in the process of moving things away from the barrels one of the barrels tipped over oh gosh and then when it was righted up there was this liquid that was seeping down the sides of it mm. So it just looked to me like the dog was getting more and more excited, but maybe that was just me. I don't know. When they opened the barrel, they found the body of Suzette Troughton inside of it, uh, floating in some liquid. In the second barrel, they discovered the body of Isabella Lewicka. Now, Isabella had been missing since late summer of 1999. In 1996, Isabella was attending Purdue University, where she was studying art. Her friends informed the police that she had been involved in BDSM. In 1997, she had told friends that she was moving to Kansas City, where she would train to be a dominant. Her trainer, John Robinson, but she thought his name was Johnson. He had told her, because online, he had also assumed different names. John Johnson? John Johnson he had offered her a job as a secretary at his business and to put her creativity to work he told her she could help him illustrate manuscripts
1: to sell watered down vegetables
0: yep on june 5th 2000 investigators searched a storage locker in Raymore, missouri i'm not sure where that is do you know where that is
1: Mm -hmm. i do
0: it's it's in the kansas city area right outside ish Mm -hmm. yeah Okay, so he had a storage locker there. It was rather large and stuffed full of stuff. Now, storage lockers really befuddle me, okay? In the fact that, okay, if you're moving and you have to put your stuff someplace, you know, to store while you're moving or whatever, I understand that. But to have so much stuff that you can't keep it at your house and you have to put it in a storage shed, that just befuddles me.
1: You really? Uh Uh-huh. Well, people put, like, their home decorations or extra furniture if they know, like, their kids are going to go away to college and might need that furniture or... Okay, that makes sense. Uh Say a parent dies and they're not ready to part with that stuff, so they might give it away to different grandkids or people here and there, so they put it in storage units. Okay, that makes sense. I was thinking just all the... Oh, I have so much crap, I just need to store it somewhere. I mean, people probably do that, too. Yeah. I mean... It's like, okay,
0: my basement is full. I can't even walk through it. So I'm going to start storing things in this other place. I mean, place we considered
1: cram- a storage unit for all my like home decor stuff for a while when we were between moves. We're like, we can just put all the Christmas stuff in a storage unit. But yeah, um, but that's what you had to do. Right. Well, we didn't ha- end up having to thank God, but yes. But so, I don't know. Okay, that makes- I, did you ever, did you ever watch that show Storage Wars? mm Uh, So when people don't pay on their storage unit or they die or what have you, the storage unit then gets sold off. And so they'd have these auctions where all these people would come. To make bids and buy storage units. And they would do these in places like Vegas and stuff like that. So they would find all, like, people would bid so much money on these storage units. So they'd open the door and they'd have a timer to, like, kind of peek in. You couldn't go in, but you could kind of, like, look around from the outside to see how much you wanted to place bids because you got antiques and you have, like, just old things that people know are worth money, I guess. And so I used to love that show. Well, this would have been something to bid on
0: i guess oh it was full of stuff but making their the investigators made their way to the back and they found three 55 gallon drum barrels oh i don't like these opening one they discovered the body of beverly bonner the prison librarian mm. in the second they found the body of sheila faith Now, Sheila Faith was a widow that was struggling financially to bring up a daughter with several medical issues, including cerebral palsy. In 1994, she met Robinson online. Now, I don't know if she was in the BDSM. I don't know how they met. Okay, that was unclear. He told her that he was a wealthy executive and he could take care of her and her 15-year-old daughter, Debbie Lynn. Sheila told a friend that she and Debbie were going to visit Robinson in Kansas, but the two never came back home. In the third barrel was the body of 15-year-old Debbie Lynn Faith.
1: Mm, gosh, darn it.
0: All five women have been killed by blunt force trauma to the head. The murder weapon looked to be a ha- like it was a hammer. Mm. Two women are believed to be victims of Robinson, but their bodies have never been found. One was 19-year-old Paula Godfrey, who had accepted a job at Robinson's management consulting firm, another oh one gosh, of his this bogus things, uh, in Overland Park, Kansas. She told her parents that Robinson was sending her to San Antonio, Texas, for clerical training. Investigators were told by Paula's parents that she was picked up by Robinson on September 1st, 1984. He was taking her to the airport so she could fly to san antonio she was never seen again her father searched san antonio for his daughter but finding no evidence that she even went there he confronted Mm. robinson it was not long after that that the family received a letter signed by paula saying she was fine and just wanted to start over
1: so is he just getting the like before he kills them making them sign paper like
0: okay uh we'll we'll talk about these letters Catherine Clampett moved to Kansas to live with her brother. She had been struggling with drugs and alcohol abuse, and she left her little son with her parents in Texas. She wanted to clean up her life before getting her son again. Mm -hmm. She thought Kansas would be a perfect place to do that. But then she was offered a job by Robinson working at his business management consulting firm in Oberlin Park. God, this guy is just
1: taking advantage of so many women that are really trying to make it, really trying at life. Well, that's he
0: got them at the best opportunity. You know, they were fragile women who were looking to better themselves, and he could sense this. She told her family that the job required a lot of traveling, even some to Europe. On June fifteenth, 1987, when she had not returned from a trip, her brother reported her missing. So... How did these letters come from Europe? That's what was my question the whole time.
1: Yeah, how, you said how one could of them they had a have their from...
0: postage stamp be from Europe? He never went to Europe. And then, how could they be signed by these people? You, you were right about the signature. Before they died, sometime before they died, he had them sign a blank piece of paper, and they did it. Remember, he was the slave master, mm-hmm. so he could get them to do this stuff. And then in the Vanity Fair show that I was watching, which was, let me tell you what that was, because it was super, it was very, very interesting. It's the Vanity Fair Confidential Season 1, Episode 8. It's called Other Ego. So he had an old friend that he met when they were actually very young, and they were like exchange students in Europe. Her name was Barbara. And they Mm -hmm. met and they hit it off. And they did have a relationship at the time, but that didn't go any further. So then, I don't know how many years later, 20 years or maybe even more years later, he contacts her online and they build up their friends again. Now, she is with a company and she travels all over Europe with this company. He tells her that he's with the CIA And so gosh, he can't spend very much time with her. She accepts this, even though he does go and see her whenever she's stateside, he goes and sees her. They spend a little time together. And then he's like, oh, I have to go again. My, you know, CIA just called me. I gotta go. So then when she was in Europe, one of the trips, he said, hey, while you're there, can you just, you know, for the fun of it, whatever, can you just get a bunch of letters postmarked with wherever you're at? And then send them to me and i'll pay you for it she got you know the postmarks and everything for these letters and then sent them all to him so that's how he could get the postmarks from europe
1: this this guy went through so much what that's crazy that's crazy yeah on september
0: 16th 2002 after 32 days of trial the jury found john edwards robinson the internet's first serial killer by the way
1: mm. guilty
0: of the murders of Suzette Troughton, Isabella Lewicka and the disappearance of Lisa Stacy now the Kansas City supreme court overturned the convictions in the Stacy and Lewicka case stating unconst- uncon- unconstitutional this word i wasn't sure of multiplicacious with the capital murder conviction and count two, and I think it was you can't have more than one capital murder charge. I don't know okay. why, but it, he got the death sentence for all of them. So I think basically it's saying you can't get the death sentence three times. So we can't
1: kill you three times. So we're
0: taking these two away. I, I I'm not sure that was my understanding of it. Um okay. He he still got the death sentence, and he is on death row still. Um, uh-huh. He's now 79 years old on death row in El Dorado Correctional Facility with another family man, serial killer. Who is
1: is Rader there?
0: hmm Dennis okay. Rader, BTK.
1: Wow, are you impressed? Are you <laughs> impressed with me? <laughs> I'm impressed with me. <laughs> Ooh. So, and yeah, then all the I... good guys over there, that's for sure. I don't
0: know if he, I didn't see any place, but you know, the other bodies in the barrels were in Missouri
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and they don't have, I think Missouri does not have the death penalty.
1: Man, it's been like 15 years almost. Well, oh, what's... people are in death
0: row for a long time. It seems oh. it's like, just get it over with. <laughs> well,
1: due process or whatever. I know, but for them. a guy like
0: this, I mean, he- the- killed these women there there's no doubt he is not innocent he killed these people and he's probably conning his way through the prison i mean
1: well to the librarian there beware (laughs) beware of robust bodies and watered down vegetables let me tell you that story works on you that story works gosh darn it ew i hate slimy men like that i know right just (laughs) You. His family Ew. had no idea. So you know he's 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 able they to talk about that all the time, Mom. And two it just, complete different
0: lives.
1: I don't understand
0: it. You know the same with BTK. His family has no had no clue that he was ugh, doing the stuff he was doing.
1: No, I mean, like I said, we hear about that all the time. But that is just, oh, that's so sad. All right, so let's. Move on
0: to your spooky story, please. Oh. I told you that this one would creep you out, though. You said, I have really, I have really spooky stories.
1: And I said, yeah, but I think mine's going to creep
0: you out, too.
1: I wonder what the liquid is that he kept the bodies in. And can you imagine winning that at Storage Wars? Well, I know the smell was so intense but that <sighs> once they lifted the lid, it
0: was awful most of the liquid was from the bodies themselves oh, decomposing okay.
1: okay well are you ready to be spooked yes bring it on i'm gonna remind you that you said that do you have enough cocktail yes okay i have moved on from the chunky zombie brains to uh A another, <laughs> another donkle this story is crazy
0: we need to dim our lights
1: i feel like we should <gasps> Oh, I wonder what it would look like. Oh, yeah. Oh, that
0: looks cool. That looks good. I wonder if I can do it.
1: Oh, there we go. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and if you're not on YouTube, I'm so sorry. You have no idea what's going on. <laughs> we have ambiance going here. They just hear. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> It was in the late 1940s, but we can't exactly be sure. The place was the Soviet Union, and this was during or after the Cold War. But again, we can't exactly be sure because this was all supposed to be a secret. So what we do know is that in a covert Soviet test facility, five prisoners of war were kept and used as test subjects. The test was named a sleep experiment, ironically, because this military-sanctioned science experiment was trying to keep these five prisoners awake for 30 days. <gasps> oh, how awful. Yes. I feel like my baby puts me through this experiment <laughs> on a weekly basis. But Now, these prisoners agreed to this test, under the pretense that after the 30-day experiment, they would be released from prison back to their respected homes. Wow, We don't know who these men were or where they were from. We can kind of guess or narrow down that these five men were believed to be political prisoners deemed enemies of the state during World War II. Okay. So again, they agreed on these terms and one day, they stepped into their new home for the next 30 days. It was essentially a gas chamber. So it's this huge chamber and the scientists, the researchers were administering some kind of a gas-based stimulant continuously into this chamber. And the chamber would monitor the men's oxygen levels as well as the stimulants levels because they didn't want to kill them. They wanted to make sure that everything stayed, you know, rationed or whatever the even and these chemicals they were in such high concentrations in the air that were being pumped into the chamber so they really had to monitor everything very closely and this was before the closed circuit cameras so they can't watch these men but what they did is they put microphones throughout the chamber so that the men could talk to them Mm -hmm. and then they had a sound system that if the researchers if they had to talk to the guys, to, to the men inside the chamber, they'd be able to, but they were like, we don't want to have to do that. We're going to try not to ever do that. We don't want to interfere. But those were installed. And then they had these porthole type windows. Okay, I think there was only like three porthole windows that the researchers could see into to the chamber.
0: Okay, but The prisoners or the research people, can they look out
1: the subjects? I don't think so, uh, okay. but it was, well, they might've been able to, I think, cause it was only a five, it was five inch thick glass in these portholes. So they had to have been able to see through, but the chamber was stocked with plenty of food for the five men. They had cots, they had a toilet, they had running water from a very small sink, they had books for quote unquote entertainment. I know that sounds horrible, but they were also prisoners to begin with. So I can't imagine Mm -hmm. this being much different than their cell or what they were being kept in. Right. But that's just me guessing. I don't know. But so they're being locked in here, no one in, no one out for 30 days if they want this experiment to work. One day, the prisoners are taken and they're locked into this chamber together. Day one went smoothly. Day two went smooth. Day three went fine. And the men were chatting amongst themselves, kind of getting to know each other, joking around, just kind of making light, I guess, of the situation, talking about their families. They're talking about the books they were reading. Day four, the scientists start to notice that the conversations are turning a bit darker. Like the tone of their conversation was darker. They were talking about more traumatic parts of their lives. It was just starting to turn a little more dark but in their could conversation. Could this not have been
0: because they were getting they had were getting to know each other and by this time sure.
1: felt more comfortable with each other. Sure, of course. Uh, day five, the men started to seem agitated. N- remember, they are not sleeping. High concentrated stimulant gases are being pumped into their chamber to keep them awake. This is day five. And the men start to show paranoia and they stop talking to each other, but they started whispering into the microphones to the researchers mm-hmm. about one another. So they're like kind of tattling on each other to the researchers, but like whispering into the microphone. Okay. Maybe they're trying to win the researchers, like to tell bad things about the other guys. Maybe they're trying to win the researchers over. I don't know, but I'm getting really spooked just thinking about it. (laughs) Okay, so things slowly start to get worse. And day nine, one of the men absolutely loses it. He starts screaming at the top of his lungs, non-stop. He starts running the length of the chamber, screaming. After a few hours, his screams stop, but not because he was stopping the screaming, but something caused him to not be able to scream, and little squeaks and squeals were all that were coming out. So later the scientists. Later the scientists will find that he had physically torn his vocal cords by all the screaming he had done.: Oh, he didn't tear them out. He had torn them by screaming. OK. Yes. But what was more terrifying was the way the other men were reacting to this or not reacting to this nothing are you kidding me it was like they couldn't hear or see what was going on they were just going on with their reading or their rest or i guess i can't rest they're not supposed to be sleeping they're just whatever they're doing and like this wasn't happening they just went on with their whatever they were doing and they just kept whispering into the gosh darn microphones (laughs) then a second man started to scream He was getting all amped up, the screams increasing, the remaining three men, silently, oh so calmly, started ripping pages from the books inside the chamber. (laughs) Then they started to take the ripped pages, wiped in their own feces, and started covering the porthole windows. The moment the last view into the chamber was covered, the screaming stopped. And so did all the whispering in the microphone.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: The researchers, researchers couldn't hear or see anything going on in the chamber anymore. Okay, this gets crazy. They aren't hearing anything anymore. No steps. We're talking about five adult men in there. And no noise whatsoever. No
0: running water, no going to the bathroom, nothing. no
1: nothing. No noise. And what's crazier, so they're able to see the oxygen levels in the chamber because they're still monitoring everything, right? The gas and the oxygen levels. And the oxygen levels are, their, their readings are showing so high, high as if the five men were consuming a lot of oxygen. Like they were doing some heavy, very strenuous exercise. Like they were really breathing in a ton of oxygen, but they're not hearing anything going on in there. But the oxygen levels are so high. Three days of silence. And they didn't know if these men were brain dead. I mean, they're breathing, but they don't know really what's going on. So we're on day 14 and the researchers did something they had said they wouldn't really have to do. And they use the intercom to hopefully provoke some kind of response. They announced quote, we are opening the chamber to test the microphones, step away from the door and lie flat on the ground. Sorry. I ruined the quote. Step away from the door and lie flat on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance will earn you one will earn one of you. Your immediate freedom. Totally butchered that quote, but I hope you got the gist. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> After a moment of silence, they hear a very calm voice respond, quote, we no longer want to be freed, Unquote. What? The researchers are in a tough place. They need to figure out what's going on in there. Remember, this is a military-led, military-funded experiment. They need to report back to the Soviets. They need to figure out what's going on for their studies. Disgusting, but they needed to. They talked about it, and the chamber had gone all quiet again. So at midnight on the 15th day, they decided to open the chamber. Before you do this, though, you have to scrub the air in the chamber of all of what they had pumped into the chamber before they go oh, into yeah, it. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. As the stimulant is slowly being turned off and fresh air starts to be pumped into the chamber, three voices are heard over the microphones pleading and begging for the gas to be turned back on. Screaming ensued inside the chamber. The chamber was opened and the soldiers went into the chamber to retrieve the men. More screams came from the soldiers. There were four remaining alive men, but I use the word alive loosely. Buckle up. And if you have a weak stomach, just Good night. Thank you for listening. You can see our resources on killer hangover Check us out. Join us on Patreon. You get the gist buckle up. First off the food looked like it hadn't been touched after day five. Oh. The man that was dead lay deceased on the floor. I'm so sorry. Chunks of his meat were missing from his thighs and his chest. These chunks were stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber. Four inches of water covered the floor of the chamber. Very similar to mom's story. A lot of that was probably not water. The quote unquote surviving men also had chunks of meat and muscle literally ripped from their bodies. The exposed bone on their fingers basically left the researchers to assume that they had done it to themselves. Keep in mind, remember, there was no noise coming from that room. This is where it becomes absolutely insane. But or- <laughs> it isn't already? Oh my gosh. Organs from the alive men were strewn on the floor. Wait, 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 wait. They're alive. These organs are just hanging out of them. These men were literally walking zombies. The walking dead. And my cocktail. That's what my face is for. <laughs> I mean, they could physically see the digestive tract on the floor still, like, pumping, digesting food. But remember, they hadn't eaten any food, so they had eaten meat off of their own buddies. The men that had gone into the chamber, guns drawn, were Russian special operatives at the facility, but they were so scared. They refused to get near, let alone lead any of these men out of the chamber. Uh, No. And the whole time the men that are alive in the chamber are screaming for the gas to be turned back on. A fight actually ensues when the soldiers tried to lead the test subjects out of the chamber. One of the soldiers was actually killed by a prisoner. The soldiers were bitten. They were clawed at. It was just like wild animals. It is said that one of these soldiers committed suicide a few months after the event. He couldn't live with what he saw inside the chamber in the struggle one of the povs had his spleen rupture and he started to bleed like he started to bleed out essentially then they rushed him to the doctor where they pumped him with morphine to help with the pain but he just kept flailing and screaming and well basically he was attacking the doctors to like stop them from operating on him they pumped him with four times the normal dose a person can get of morphine they even drug. I mean, even drugged. He still attacked the doctor trying to assess him, breaking his arm. Oh, my gosh. He eventually died on the table. His last words he screamed over and over was, quote, more, 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 quote. The surviving three men were finally restrained and moved to a medical facility, all the while begging for the gas and demanding it just be kept on. Demanding to be kept awake. Sorry. So there was one operating room on the premises. I mean, they couldn't really take these men to like a working hospital. They had to stay near the chamber and near their test facility. So uh, they bring one of the men into the operating room to try to get his organs back into his body. Uh, It took so many soldiers and restraints to get him to even just lie down on the operating table. He didn't want to be sedated. He didn't want to fall asleep. It took him a little extra anesthetic. Anesthetic? Anesthetic? You? You, you know, what I'm trying to say to get him to sleep. But as soon as his eyes fluttered closed, he died. He died. Wow. In the autopsy done later, they discovered his blood had tripled the normal level of oxygen. Mm-hmm. His muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn and he had broken nine bones in the struggle. A quote from the article I read said, quote, the second survivor had been the first of the group of five to start screaming. His vocal cords destroyed, he was unable to beg or object to surgery, and he only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval with the anesthet- anesthetic cannot say that word gas was brought near him. He shook his head yes when someone suggested reluctantly they try the surgery with, without anesthetic, and did not react the entire six-hour procedure of replacing his indo- abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with what remained of his skin the surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it should be medically possible for the patient to still be alive impossible yes thank you one terrified nurse assisting the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers oh my gosh or are you just not talking a lot because you're like spooked i am totally fascinated <laughs> I, i'm like i love this medical stuff i'm totally fascinated after the surgery the man kept trying to communicate to the doctor is trying to tell him something remember he can't talk so he grabbed right. a pen and paper and the man wrote keep cutting <gasps> <laughs> could you have a break this is an, an, an amazing story i know Almost unbelievable. The other two men had the same surgery, no anesthetic, but were given a paralactic, so mm. they're paralyzed. Um, but the doctor had the hardest time with their surgeries because uh, the men kept laughing through the whole surgery. Oh. oh my gosh! After surgery, and all were calmed, the researchers asked the men, "Why did you do this to yourselves?" why do you want the gas so badly and they just responded i just like they they just wanted to wow sorry i'm butchering all this because i'm spooked i just saw the jack skellington face behind me over there he's just <laughs> sitting there staring at me um he they wanted to re- right. <laughs> i know i just saw him uh they wanted to just they wanted to remain awake The doctors didn't know what to do with these men after surgery. So they put the three men back in the chamber. (laughs) Well, they probably had like no recourse. What else are you going to do with (sighs) these guys? Fearing the anger of their military benefactors, they considered killing the remaining men. Quote, the commanding officer, a former KGB agent, instead saw potential and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. The researchers strongly objected, but were overruled. Unquote. The three men were hooked up to monitors and ultra padded restraints as they were prepping the men some, okay. So they're like, they're not in there yet. They're getting prepped to be put back into the chamber. Okay. So they're in these restraints and they're, they're all kind of relaxed right now. Right. Cause they just had these surgeries and they had all these extra drugs pumped into them. So they're trying to stay awake. Like they, they cannot fall asleep. They don't want to fall asleep. So one of them is humming continuously, just sitting there, just, you know, humming, which that's how my children fall asleep, which is so weird. I, I think it's, I think it's cute, but after reading this, I'm like, that's kind of scary. But two of my three boys will literally sing, hum themselves to sleep. One kept a pattern with his legs so that he could concentrate on that. So he's like kicking his left and kicking his right. Then two on his left and two on his right. And just making a pattern with his legs so that he can stay awake. And the other, well, the EEG monitor or the EEG or the monitor that's monitoring his brain. Is that an EEG? EKG? Anyway, the monitor that's monitoring his was brain. EKG the heart. Well, the, the brain monitor scans showed that he was flatlining in and out like oh my gosh He was dying and coming back and then it was coming back and flatlining and then coming back then the nurse noticed quote his eyes slipped shut at the same moment his head hit the pillow his brain waves immediately changed to that of a deep sleep then flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped unquote because he went to sleep fell asleep so here's the deal the two men were going to be put back in the chamber but they needed to be heavily monitored even more now so three researchers were going to be locked in the chamber with them oh my god who would do that so i think they had to have like drawn straws or i don't know what they did one of the researchers that was picked to go in there he was pissed he was pissed So right before the chamber doors closed behind him in the chamber, he pulled his gun and he shot his commander as well as one of the test subjects. He pointed his gun at the other test subject. And I mean, he's terrified of these men. These men don't even look like men. They don't even look like men. Quote, I'm not going to be locked in here with you. What are you? I must know. Unquote. The test subject smiled and said, quote, have you forgotten so easily we are you, we are the madness that lurks within you all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go to the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. Unquote. The test subject was shot, sputtering as he died. he quoted or he said. So nearly free, unquote. The end. So all the
0: test subjects ended up being shot dead. Right when they were getting their their (laughs) their drugs. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is I wild. I hate
1: to do this to you. What? What? No what? I have several questions, but what? This story is not true. No, oh, darn it.
0: Because <laughs> I was like, okay, why did they shoot for 30 days? That makes no sense. Why are we not shooting for 10 days, 15 days at the most? <laughs> why 30? That doesn't make any sense to me.
1: I wonder how long, okay, so listeners, how long did it take you to realize that this is the creepypasta story of the Russian sleep experiment? I'm very curious. I did not include some of the more graphic stuff that's in the story. This is a creepypasta. A creepypasta is a, this is what I saw on Wikipedia. It is a horror related legend, which has been shared around the internet. So random people write in stories to creepypasta.com. Are they true? Are they fake? We don't know. And some stories go viral, some stories don't. This story went viral as soon as it hit the internet on August 10th, 2010. Uh, The user's name was Orange Soda. So we don't know who this person is who wrote this. So, you know, I don't know. I could keep it kind of creepy here if you want me to. We don't know if it's true or not. But it was, quote, one of the most shocking and impactful urban legends of the internet age. I mean, I remember when this came out, oh my gosh, everybody was talking about it. Everybody Everybody? was like, oh yeah. Like, is this real? Did you read this? And I left out a lot of the gruesome stuff. If you guys want to read the whole story, I will put a link to where I read this. It's pretty, pretty graphic. And I think I read in this other article, like, things that make like creepypasta stories go viral or like make certain stories more realistic. And there are quotes from like nurses and pictures. And there's a picture that was posted with this, of like this horrifying beast of a man, creature, zombie thing. Like you can imagine sitting on a bed and like a test unit, like it's, it looks legit. Mm -hmm. So it, that's, I think helped the story. But there have been plays and books and movies based around this creepypasta made since then. But the story did, did, I'm sorry. I know I've ruined everybody's little scary time. But it did lead me to question, how long can a person stay awake before going absolutely bonkers, right? No, exactly. I think, I uh, like I said, I started this with my baby has kept me awake several nights. All four of them have on certain occasions. And I just, I mean... I, I literally asked my mother mom what are signs that you're you have diabetes because I'm not getting I'm like constantly drinking water which like scares me and I have like these headaches and like what else was I saying mom like I was I was saying like all these crazy things I have to pee a lot I have I, and I'm like mm, maybe you're just really here yeah, she's like yeah I mean if you want to go to the doctor yeah but you're not getting any sleep at <laughs> like, this possibly be the reason. <laughs> and she started sleeping. Essentially she sleeps with the night now. She might get up. It's that initial like going to sleep. That's kind of rough. But once she's asleep, she's asleep. So that's great. Once she started doing that though, I've started to like become normal again. <laughs> but besides my baby, you can keep me awake. Uh medical news today had that the current world record for a person going without sleep is 266 hours which is just about 11 days a little more than 11 days. Oh wow. The most famous sleep deprivation experiment took place in 1964 for a California high school student named Randy Gardner. Uh, towards the end of his 11 days, he grew paranoid and he even started having hallucinations. He was being monitored by um like a physician and like doctors were there to help him and everything during this test. But I also read that the world record like they don't take this as a world record anymore. Like you can't think cause it's probably cause it's dangerous. Yeah. But they don't allow people to compete for that anymore. Oh my gosh. But I mean, just think
0: about it. You become delusional. Oh, absolutely. I mean, your whole body
1: just kind of goes into shock and you become delusional. Can and- you imagine like, yes, yes, I'm sorry. I'm probably driving people crazy, but yes, my baby kept me awake. But you, can you imagine if like, she was actually forcing me to stay awake, like gas stimulant was just pumping through, you know, when you have coffee too late and trying to go to bed and you just can't sleep, but can you imagine
0: turn and you just can't
1: Right? Can you imagine that feeling all the time? And then, oh my gosh, no, no, I can't. It
0: would be torture. It would literally be torture.
1: So happy spooky season. I hope that was a good first uh That was good because it made,
0: made <laughs> me think about the human mind is a crazy thing. And it's really a crazy unknown. There's it so is. many unknowns in your head. And I think that's probably another thing that captured people mm-hmm.
1: is, you know, it, it, Well, the Soviets and then the fact that, yeah, the mind is a crazy thing that we don't fully understand. We don't know that much about. And Mm -hmm. so it's, you know, all of that could have been possible. And
0: that's what's so scary about it.
1: I think that's what makes it so scary.
0: Yeah. It isn't far fetched like the green lizard man and, you know,
1: some of the legends that we've talked about. Then who ate that poor kid's bumper? I mean, come on now. (laughs) (laughs) poor guy just love that new car love that new
0: car (laughs) (laughs) it? oh honey that was great
1: happy halloween i'd never heard it so i was fascinated yay okay i'm literally gonna put if you guys are listening on spotify there's a place after the like in the notes here that you can respond to a question i'm gonna ask there We've gotten some really fun responses to a couple of other questions. I didn't really know how it worked. And now I know how it works. So you'll see it. And I'm literally going to say, how long did it take you to realize the truth about Beth's story? Because I also don't want to give it away if people aren't listening yet. I want to see, did you know, like right away, as soon as I said, Russian sleep experiment where you're like, oh, good one. Beth." I,
0: I remember that. Yeah. I mean, did I'm you curious. say that? No, I'd never heard it before. So I'm just going. I know.
1: What? You see what? And I mean this with a lot of love, but a lot of people in your demographic probably don't remember that or know about that. So I know. Spooky, spooky, creepy pasta. I, I have to be honest. So,
0: you know, those of you who didn't until the very end, I didn't know till the very end. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing wrong make, with that. Things hey. didn't make sense to me, but
1: I didn't, you know, was like <laughs> Hey, you know what? This then then it worked then I, I did a good job. Oh, I just hit my spooked myself out. <laughs> you, I don't know why you are. Cause I'm sitting alone in a dark room. Oh Ooh. okay. Fun stuff. Fun, fun stuff. Okay. Well, join us next time for another spooky tale. I was gonna cheer you. Oh, you're gonna cheer me? <laughs> I was gonna cheer you. I was gonna cheer you. Okay. <laughs> cheer, mom. Cheer, cheer, rah, rah. Okay. That's well, funny. y'all know where you can catch us. Oh yeah, all the good stuff. killerhangoverpodcast.com. dot com. That's the real good thing, guys. Go check out. Mom works so hard on that website. Please go <laughs> to the website for mom. She works so hard on that. She posts pictures the there. <laughs> She posts pictures there. She, and I'm always like, mom, did you post the website? And she's like, nah, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> she, she posts all the resources. She does the whole transcript. Like she writes up about the whole episode. She does a lot of work on the
0: Whatever.
1: website. So. Go help her out. Get those numbers up for her. You <laughs> can follow us. <laughs> you can follow us on the website. You can leave a comment on the website. You can send us a message on the website. You can email us on the website. You can find links on the website to our Patreon, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all the good stuff. So uh go to the damn website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. Tears, <laughs> mama. You robust mama, you. (laughs) I love
0: you, kid. What do you mean by robust? (laughs)